Oh, yes. This is the Hardcore Marketing Show. I'm Casey Cheshire, your host for this epic journey. And today's show has a sponsor. What? Cheshire Impact. Who are these guys? On a mission to help you maximize your use of Pardot and Salesforce. CheshireImpact.com. Boom. Now, my guest today, he is like a brother from the other vendor. He is a Marketo wizard. He's a fellow strategist of the revenue. He's the CEO of Revenue Pulse, founder of Knack, which we're going to talk about. Really cool. Aficionado, marketing and technology. He speaks three languages. I speak one and a half. And uh, <laughs> four-time Marketo champion, user group leader, Revy finalist, Pierce Eugene Walla. How are you, sir? I'm great. Thanks for having me. How was that introduction? Did we hit everything or did I miss something? That's awesome. It's tough to follow that up there, but thank you. Yeah, we set the, we set the bar high on you. <laughs> but hey, I'm glad you're here because you really the, the topic, you know, it's all about, you know, you get this technology. We want people to actually use it. We want people to get the benefit of it. You got tools like Pardot or Marketo, whatever the tool is. We want people to actually be able to track ROI and be able to have that. You know, whether it's first touch or, or even understand your actions later on, understanding is what I'm doing, does that even matter, right? So I love, I wanted to have you on here. I mean, you've got the word revenue in the name of your company. You, you eat and sleep and breathe it. So I wanted to just have you on here and just learn from you and, uh, and everyone else too. So here is Thor's hammer. I'm passing this to you. I want you to take Thor's hammer and smash for us like a myth, some bogus strategy you're hearing out there around you know, marketing and ROI and these kind of things, just smash it to smithereens and let's, let's go from there. Yeah, totally. I think, um, you know, I think in the past I actually started my career at a big uh, business intelligence uh, provider, Cognos, that was acquired by IBM. And I mean, back in those days, you had to spend millions of dollars to get a BI tool in place and really get that visibility. So I think, you know, the myth that I would smash is that you don't have to spend boatloads of money anymore to get really a world-class business intelligence system up and running. Okay. It doesn't take millions of dollars. That's good. Cause I don't have a million dollars. I want to spend on that. I'd rather buy an Island in the Caribbean with it. Um, so what does it take? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, you're a Pardot guy, I'm a Marketo guy. I think to get started, you know, these vendors have uh, out-of-the-box reporting and analytics that people can use to get them, you know, oftentimes more than they've ever seen before. Um, and then, you know, what we see with a lot of our clients is they might start out with that, kind of push it to its limits, and more and more now, people are using these point-and-play solutions uh, like Snowflake as a, as a data warehousing solution or Red, Redshift from Amazon, and then layering on like a Tableau on top of there. Uh, and, uh, and, you know, that's something with you can dip your toe in the water without, yeah, you know, investing a ton of money. Huh. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, can you track everything? Should you be tracking everything? Where, where should we be focusing? I mean, obviously something like having your own database and then throwing Tableau on top of it, you could look at everything, right? You, you could yeah. spend days deep in, the, yeah. deep in the dungeons of data. Totally. <laughs> 
I think uh, so now it's easier than ever before to track obviously online, but also offline uh, marketing activities like events and every, all these types of things that right. you know, before, especially for marketers who are new to this, have never thought of that. Now, are we ever going to be able to track the impact of like a billboard on the side of the highway? You know, I think getting to that level, that may be one example where, yeah, that, you know, that might be tough to be able to track. But anything yeah. where you can have kind of a dedicated URL from even a magazine ad, right? That's something that before was impossible to track, now can be tracked relatively easily if you can convert someone from offline to online. Right. Okay. Makes sense. You have tools that you can take advantage of. What, before you even dive into the tool, where do you, what do you walk your clients through? Or how, do you, how do you want them to approach it? How do you approach it yeah. in terms of setting yeah. everything up? Totally. I think to start, you know, putting some kind of uh, marketing automation platform in place is a really critical first step, right? That, that is, you know, your marketing foundation. That's where all of the data, both online and offline, is going to come in and be stored so that eventually you can get to doing reporting. Okay. Um, you know, that's where we typically start with our clients, right? Getting them set up with a good marketing automation foundation. Sure. Uh, setting it up so that no matter what kind of marketing campaign they're running, we give them a mechanism to be able to do that okay. and the mechanism to capture all that data. So usually, you know, people will start there they get comfortable, they start running their campaigns, and then, you know, reporting often comes after that step, right? And like I mentioned, to start, hey, these vendors give you out-of-the-box reporting and analytics. Like, is it as good as a marketing data lake with Tableau on top? No, definitely not. Would you call that a but data lake? Data lake, yeah. That's really badass. Yeah. I don't think I've ever yeah. heard that before. But that, that doesn't yeah. mean it's not said. It just means I had no idea. Yeah, no. Uh, it's, data lake. Yeah, so it, it, it's essentially like the evolution of your traditional data warehouse. Yeah. So, so was, it, was it like a data box before and then it turned into a, a data lake? This, this is a great book. Okay, do a plug here. Oh, Marketing right. Lake by uh, a good friend of mine, Anish Jirwal. <laughs> Okay, so you held it up. It was the data marketing. Marketing data lake, yeah. The marketing data lake. This, okay. uh, if, you, if you Google it, it's a free download. Cool. Um, oh, it's a free download? I won't pretend to know as much as Anish does, but it's, <laughs> it's a summary of what it is. Okay, yeah. What's the, what's the, um, what's the two cents on it then? Um, what did you get from yeah, that? So, I mean... Uh, from from what how I interpreted it from Anish is a data warehouse is very rigid in the sense that you kind of have to think about going in. Hey, what kind of reports am mm -hmm. I going to want to produce? And I'm going to structure my data that way to get the reports. But you know, 
as you and I both know, those needs are always changing, right? And so to have to restructure your database to get yeah. the report is, is a never-ending task. And it's so the- expensive, it takes time, yeah. Totally, and so a data lake is much more flexible. The data is in there in a way that you can pull it out however you need to to get the reports that you need. Flexible. I mean, that, that's really cool because you're totally right. Even when I asked you, you know, where do you start? And you said, you know, marketing automation. I was thinking of the old mentality. I was thinking, well, don't you need to know what reports you need at the very yeah. beginning? But yeah. point, if you're going with the data lake mentality, yeah. model strategy and the tools that support it, you don't need to start with that. You're not stuck in that, the rut of the right. truck that came in front of you. Totally. Yeah. Sweet. Yeah, and I think, you know, the way we approach it, no matter what the report is that the person needs to get at the end of the day, that foundation that you're creating in your marketing automation and CRM, really, you know, there's some best practices that we always follow so that no matter how they want to look at the data at the end, we're kind of putting it in there in a clean format that's going to get you accurate and and a, a complete results. Okay. What, what are those best practices? What, what do you yeah. make sure you're so, doing? I mean, I, I'll try and keep this kind of vendor agnostic as much as I can. That's okay. Um, it's all good. Like, we, we can yeah. arm wrestle later. Marketo. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm sure it, it, the principles are essentially the same. So yeah, the strategy you know, should be for sure. You know, in Marketo, you would set up, we, they're called programs, but you would kind of have a program for each kind of tactic that you do. So like a webinar would have one, uh, an email blast would have another, a trade show would have another. So kind of mapping out all of the tactics you do and what are the different kind of stages that someone could be at in one of those tactics. So if we use a webinar as an example, you know, you could invite someone to a webinar, you could have them register, they could no-show where they attend, right? Ah, uh, so yeah, yeah. Working with, with the customer to identify what does success look like for each of your tactics. So oh, I like that. Is getting someone registered a success or do they have to be there and actually consume the data? or your marketing engagement to be a success. So that is like I, what I would consider 101 of setting some, this foundation up. I also think it's, it's really critical to have a full one-to-one -one sync between your marketing automation platform and your CRM. Yep. Um, so that, I mean, there's a ton of benefits to doing that, but I think one of the biggest ones is that, you know, your CRM is going to be where your opportunity data is, where your pipeline is, uh, where your ROI metrics are going to be. And so those CRM and marketing automation have to be fully in sync for you to get a, a full and a complete picture of your attribution. This is good stuff. I, I want to I take it back to the, the first thing you mentioned. Uh, you know, setting up a program for different tactics. What I got out of that was uh, definitely highlighting that each source, each tactic source you're using has its own separate stages. 
to your point, yeah. in a trade show, there's different stages that are different types of responses that they're at. Webinar, you listed out different registered, no-showed, attended, you know, maybe engaged. Yeah. They were asking yeah. questions throughout the whole thing. Yeah, totally. Uh, but keeping track of that yeah. and understanding how that went, because then you can even be more relevant to people as that happens. Yeah. And then what I love what you said was, what does success look like for each one of these? What does for each mm-hmm. surf? And yeah. it reminded me of a convo I had with Jim Lenskold, who wrote the book Marketing ROI. He's a great dude. And then also Dan Sullivan from Strategic Coach. They all teach this idea, exactly what you're talking about, of before you even get into it, what does success look like? Yeah. I love that. Yeah. It's it, that forethought. You're just thinking, like, what do I want the outcome to be? Will help you be more organized and actually executing that. That's really cool. Totally. Totally. Yeah. And I, I mean, I think one of the biggest things too, when you're going into this is like having the company bought in to doing an initiative like this, right? Like what we've seen with our customers is it really does have to be a top down thing where you have some executive buy-in to say like, Hey, we're going to start operating as a more analytical company. And when we have these numbers, we're going to use them. You know, we're going to use this as a strategic weapon as opposed to, hey, the marketing team bubbles up some reports <laughs> and the executives say, ah, oh, you know what? We're going to keep running on gut feel. Um, and that, that kind of dynamic is hard to overcome. Have you, you seen have that? Do you, have you Bumped into groups you're either working with, I think, to and yeah, I think frustrating, right? Going through a big uh, reporting project like this, where you start to get those ROI numbers, the change management aspect of it is Mm. huge. No matter what, even if you do have the buy-in, because uh, lots of people in the organization have been used to operating when they didn't have this data, right? When it was more relationship-based or like I said, trusting your gut. And so a lot of times when you put something like this in place, it can come as a bit of a shock to people uh, where the data doesn't line up to what they had in their head. Huh. I totally get that. It's like we need a change management course for marketers, you know? Yeah. It's not yeah. just enough to just drop this badass technology in there. You've got to get people to adopt it. Man, to have leadership sure. team say something like that. I was once talking to uh, someone, you know, in Canada, not to, you know, I know you're up north. You're yeah. to the north oh, here. Yeah. Um, and, and the poor guy, he said his company, um, he basically went backwards. They had, you know, marketing automation and a CRM and their president it was like, we're going back to Excel. <laughs> I was like, no. <laughs> no. I was like, well, I'm like, are you, so you're looking for a job? He's <laughs> like, no, yeah. I'm going to stick it out. I'm like, okay, better you than me. I'm, I'd be out of there. Yeah. Like, that's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, some people are more willing to embrace change than others. And I think sure. if the data is kind of telling a different narrative than someone else's agenda, like that, can happen right um i think too a a challenging part is that this space i mean i've been doing attribution reporting since my cognos days like 
over mm. 10 years ago, but it's Jeez. still relatively new. You know, I would say like if you go to 10 different companies, they're going to do it 10 different ways. There isn't, there hasn't really yet been sort of defined metrics that every company looks at. And part of the reason is, you know, every business is obviously different. Mm -hmm. And even within your attribution, you know, looking at first touch or multi-touch or last touch, they all tell you different things too, right? There isn't necessarily like a right answer there. It's just different lenses to look at the data. What, what are your thoughts on, you know, the priorities, you know, first touch, multi-touch, how do you, how do you approach that? Cause I know a lot of people uh, want to skip first touch and go right to like multi-touch and try to, decipher tea leaves yeah i mean it's kind of like cutting off one leg on a chair you know if you <laughs> if you stop looking at first touch and you don't care about that then how are you getting your leads into your system right or if you right. stop looking at all those programs that influence your deals how do you get people from that first touch to the one that actually closes? So they, they all work together. Honestly, we, it, it, it's relatively easy now to show everyone all of that data at once, right? And so what we usually do is kind of, we have kind of a reporting uh, attribution framework that we walk people through and show them the different lenses and show them why they should be looking at one way of looking at it versus the other. And, you know, at the end of the day, it's simple. You just want to figure out where should you invest more, where should you, you know, keep your investment the same, and where should you invest less. Yeah. And usually by looking at all of that, you can give somebody a pretty good idea of where they should go. I like that. It takes a lot of that complexity out of it. It's just, you're just trying to optimize. Yeah. You're just trying to figure out what do I do more of and what do I do less of, you know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Totally. Hey, question for you. You mentioned the one-to-one -one sync, not to take it too technical on people, but hey, you know, when you have two superpowers like this and the same phone call, you know, you mentioned the idea of the one-to-one -one sync and, and mm -hmm. you know, oftentimes people will leave maybe unqualified leads inside their marketing automation only mm -hmm. to send them over to CRM, to Salesforce. Mm -hmm. I think that's our tool, right? Your tool, my tool. Send them over to yep. sales tool, uh, sales tool, <laughs> Salesforce um, when they're ready, assigned yep. to a sales rep. But there, to your point, there is that other side, which is saying just send them all over directly and then maybe assign them when it's the right time. What's, yep. what's your take on that You know, and from a data yeah. perspective, from a workflow perspective? Yeah. I think like it's kind of like database database best practices, right? To okay, have yeah. databases all in sync as opposed to having silos. If you don't have a one-to-one -one sync, you end up with these silos, which causes duplication, right? A good example, if you hold leads back in Pardot or Marketo or whatever you use, um, sales won't see them. So if they go into CRM, they're working with someone new, even though marketing might already have them, 
now they're entering them into the CRM because yep. they don't know that they're already in, in your marketing automation system. Then you finally sync them over and now you have duplicates. Yeah. And what source do you go with? The, the, the sales you know, source or the marketing source? I see how there's exactly. instantly an issue there. And a lot of our clients will have hesitation about this because I think, I know with Mercado, uh, back in the early days, they were kind of recommending that you hold the unqualified people in Mercado until they're qualified and then you sync them over. But I mean, it's very simple in, in Salesforce to set up like a, like a marketing user, right? in your Salesforce, and then just assign all of those unqualified leads to the marketing user. You're not creating a bunch of noise for your salespeople, right. and you maintain that one-to-one -one sync that um, will give you many benefits down the road. You know, it's funny because I had the same type of education and the same type of environment where early on, back in the day, you know, when we were, when we were yeah. doing our our marketing emails uphill both ways, our nurture yeah. campaigns went uphill both ways. Um, back in the day, it, it was a, that was the point was to do that. You know, maybe yeah. it was before all the acquisitions and before the systems had really gotten better aligned with the CRM and you couldn't really control mm -hmm. it. Well, like once it went over there, it was like yeah. dark land. It was yeah, the dark yeah. web. Once it, we got sent over to sales and you knew, no one knows what was going on, but maybe it's yeah. because of this, this evolution where we're starting to, to look at, you know, sales and marketing on the same revenue team, you know, as opposed yeah. to um, siloed exactly. organization. I think as that's yeah. been happening and tech's been coming along with it, you're right. I think even, even as I think about it now, I'm, I'm changing my recommendation from yeah. just always being, keep it separate to that one-to-one -one you're talking about. Makes sense. I think it's, you know, it's, if you distill it down, it's just communication, right? I yeah. think if, if you're withholding information, even when you're talking to someone, I, I think being transparent and having as good a communication as you can between sales and marketing will help in the end, right? Now, I'm not suggesting, hey, let's create you know, an alert for the salespeople for anyone who has ever sent an email, no. Mm -hmm. but, but I think if they're in there, in the right way um, with the right permissions and whatever visibility the organization feels comfortable with, that it's a good thing at the end of the day, especially from an attribution perspective. When we do uh, attribution reporting for our clients, one of the big things that we always advocate for is including uh, the lead object, so leads, in your attribution reports. Um, and historically, like if you just, if you run attribution through Marketo or through Salesforce, um, you're gonna see stuff that's on the account, right? Or that's on the contact roles of that opportunity. I know we're getting technical again, but to bring it up, the lead object, if you're not looking that in your attribution model, you're probably missing out on about 70% of your attribution. Interesting. And that's because the first touch is there, especially in an yeah. ABM situation, there's multiple people involved, but how did you, 
what was the catalyst to get that whole organization really? buzzing? And many of those people might still be on that lead. They haven't been converted to the right account yet. It happens all the time. And right. so, so that's something that uh, is just huge to factor that in. Do you see a lot of that? People not using leads? Yeah, I would say most people are not using leads still. Really? Like yeah. in Salesforce or just in general? Uh, sorry. So like most people are using the lead object. Don't get me wrong there. Yeah, almost everyone. But many are not incorporating leads into their attribution model. Ah. Right? They're only looking at contacts or under an account or contact roles on an opportunity. Right. Right. Yeah. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, right. Because when yeah. you convert it, you have that, but missing yeah. out on the lead in the first place. Totally. Huh. Yeah. All right. That's cool. Now, I wanted to take us back for a second to um, that change management because, you know, rolling up my wizard sleeves here when wizards like you and I come into an organization, um, like change is inevitable. That's probably why you got into what you, I mean, I love changing things, improving things. Um, mm -hmm. You know, if I had my way, I'd just smash everything like the bull in the China shop and then, then rebuild. You're kind of like one of those home remodel shows. We're like, oh my gosh. But to your point, you can't do that because usually the you know, customer, client, or the, you know, if you're internal, wherever you're at, there's people that you need. You can't just roll them over. Um, you need to be able to get them on board. And I think one of the things you said was so critical you know, getting the company bought in, having that top-down executive buy-in, so important. Any, any recommendations for, for the marketer out there that's, you know, making changes now or about to make changes mm -hmm. or is kind of like us where they, you know, they're, they're about to rock someone's world. How, yeah. how, how do you go about doing that without tipping the boat over, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I think, you know, getting some executive sponsorship, you know, having like a steering committee or something set up within your organization okay. with the right stakeholders. I think, you know, CMOs that we talk to, all they want to talk about is attribution usually. So if, if your CMO is not thinking about this yet, I think it's worthwhile having a conversation about them helping to educate them on what it can bring to the organization and you know talking about what success looks like what it's going to do for the company and what you're hoping to do with the data in my opinion you know you should like a good goal of implementing ROI reporting or attribution reporting is that you're actually making budget changes based on the data that you get. And so it doesn't have to be like, hey, we're gonna blow up the whole budget and do everything that this data is telling us, right? But, but I think a good way to start is just, hey, we're gonna do at least some pilot, like some pilot changes on this. So we're gonna do some experiments based on the data. I think that would be good buy-in to get from, you know, senior leadership at your company. So that's, you know, that's number one. I think setting expectations too, that it's not gonna be perfect, right? right. It's don't expect 
100% accuracy on this because if you do, you're going to be disappointed. Right. So that's a huge one as well as just making sure that you have the right expectations, making sure people know there's going to be a change, getting them bought in. And, and also, you know, give yourself time. It takes time to put new systems in place, to figure out the kinks, to do run a few different models and get to the point where everyone is confident with the data. So that, that I think would be the biggest thing. We worked with one company recently where, you know, they had invested a ton of time to get this new attribution model in place, built out all of the reporting and everything. And right before they kind of finally got to success, there, there is a lot of pushback, right? And if they hadn't have just kept going, they could have wasted all of that time. But, you know, they got through that hard part and now they're really reaping the, the rewards of, of that, so. Oh, I love that. I love that. Keep going. You're going to get some pushback. That's okay. Yeah. Don't freak out. Keep exactly. going. Exactly. And I, I think the last thing, and I've seen this when I was client side, you know, trying to push attribution, and I can't even tell you how many times I explained to the executives at my company what influence pipeline was. I must have explained it every time I showed the report in our weekly meeting. They asked questions for like a year, right? Right. And I just kept explaining, explaining. So like when you're probably ready to just stop explaining it anymore, <laughs> that's when people are finally getting it. Right. Um, and That's important. You're going to have to explain it several times it's not just like share it once and everyone's got it nope they probably caught a couple words of what you said and then you yeah. it again and again exactly yeah and how, you know, how do you explain it? i'd love to hear yeah. that part yeah so i mean it, it definitely depends who i'm talking to sure right if sure. i'm Maybe talking like a to, senior level person or something right yeah and, and that's important right because if you're a marketing operations person and you get into all of that like contact role objects that's like <laughs> you're use the executives real real fast right but i think the way that i ex i would explain like a modern attribution system to an executive is um that basically in an automated way we can now know how all of our marketing campaigns are working and which ones are giving us the best ROI. So these reports are going to help you, Mr. or Mrs. CMO, better allocate your budget to hit your numbers or give you backup to request more budget and show what that budget is actually going to mean for your pipeline or revenues. That, right. That's what it can do for them. Got it. I love that modern attribution to an executive as I wrote down. It's an automated way to see which ones are giving the best ROI, which what activities, what, what sources and channels are giving us the best yeah. ROI. That's, and that's music to their ears too. 
because you're saying yeah. I'm going to stop just spending money. I'm going to spend money smartly. You know, no one argues with that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I think when I say modern too, I think a lot of the older attribution models, people know within the company kind of how to game those models. Ah, okay. People know, hey, if, I, if we're reporting on last touch in Salesforce, I'm going to change that last touch primary campaign source on that uh, person to my program, oh, right? Even if maybe it's not, and, and this isn't always like a malicious thing. Sometimes they're not looking at all, right. they don't have access to all the data to know exactly what was the last touch or who was the real primary contact. And so, in these new attribution models, you can remove all of that and just make it about data. And not so not only is the data better, but people don't have to spend their time making sure the data is good. The systems do that. Right. Right. Huh. I yeah. love this. You know what? The you had a really great list on that change management so critical the idea of the steering committee involving people and letting people know there's going to be a change over and over again explaining it in a, in a way that they can understand setting expectations all good stuff doing those kind of things in advance it's so helpful right because then it takes some of the burden off while you're in the thick of trying to get that accuracy up and really understand what's going on and help avoid yeah. people gaming it because it's not we're not it's not like a he said she said siloed marketing versus sales now it's like we're a company we're trying to as a team yeah. get more customers that's cool totally. very exactly. cool exactly so we're coming up on the end of the year and it makes yeah. me you know nothing like the end of the year to make you think about eating cookies signing up for the gym the future next year maybe setting goals um, do you set goals for yourself or anything for next year uh definitely more of the latter although yeah. as we're bigger as a company we're we're getting kind of more proactive and planning things and taking those goals that are in my head and actually yeah them. that's kind of the big thing so totally um so yeah i think i haven't done it enough in, in the past, um, actually like documented them. I always kind of have them in my mind, but yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, getting more proactive and uh, strategic around them. You're right, because there's, there's so many things out there. And I think you and I were talking about even that MarTech image and pre-listening, listening I don't know if I describe it. It's this gigantic infographic of Thousands? Normally, I exaggerate, but I think it is like thousands of little like tiny logos. Six thousand now. Six thousand logos, and this is what like marketing technology, supposedly. Exactly. Yeah. So I, I mean, uh, Scott Brinker. Yep. Um, ha has kind of put this together over the years. I don't know. I think he's been doing it for seven or eight years now yes. and you know it started off with a few hundred and every year there's just like more logos and more logos yeah, <laughs> yeah. 6,600 6, logos now and 
Yeah, I mean, I can only imagine people who are new to this space, like how overwhelming that must be. Um, and I mean, we've worked with our clients, uh, hundreds of Marketo clients over the years, and I can tell you there's probably like really a hundred vendors that you might see consistently. Mm. So yeah, maybe that's one other myth um, that I that I would kind of smash is like don't don't think that you need six thousand vendors <laughs> or or that you even need to evaluate six thousand. Right. Probably like a hundred or less that that are the ones that are kind of really helping uh, the clients that we work with anyway. That's interesting because yeah, even a hundred's a lot, but uh, I guess you have hundred different vendors of maybe a few types. Uh, right. For your stack. Exactly. right. You don't need a thousand things. And maybe thankfully marketing automation helps with that because instead of you needing the landing page tool and the ROI tool and then this and then that, you can consolidate a lot of that under marketing automation. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, well, I think like, yeah, so we, we actually at Revenue Pulse, we put together as um, like our 28 favorite vendors mm. um, that we hear good feedback from, from our clients. Cool. Um, consistently. And so we, we kind of try to put that together to help people figure out, like, don't worry about 6,000, like there's probably under 100 that you can look at. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's interesting. I don't know about so much like the Pardot community, but sure. Marketo has this big launch point community. Sim I, I think they're they're trying to be similar to the app exchange, right? Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah. Salesforce has done such an incredible job of this where I think they do kind of the base platform. And then if you need something else, you know, they're not trying to do everything. Right. They have partners who are really good who can help you. Right. Right. So, um, well, that 28 sounds great. So, wh where do we go for that? And maybe just revenue. What's the? Uh, yeah. If you go to revenuepulse.com, P U L S E.com, it's right on our homepage. Awesome. We'll put a link in the show notes too for yeah. people just to click on it. Yeah. So, like, like you said, you know, everyone needs a webinar vendor, for example. Yeah. 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 Which one do you use? We have like our our favorite uh, webinar vendor, which is what we recommend. And and again, we are working mostly with like enterprise customers, so sure. we always recommend on twenty four because yes. you know very reliable. You can customize it however you want for your mm -hmm. look and feel. We were talking earlier about you know the different statuses of a webinar, right? right? On 24 now can actually tell you like not just attended but like that engaged metric yeah. that you were talking about before did they stay for the whole webinar did they ask a question like right. that's kind of the next level so yeah we we really like them there's other good vendors what we look for is like good integration with marketo um, is always the big thing as well. So, yeah, because yeah. if you can sync that data automatically, and we've used GoToWebinar for a while just because of a similar kind of sync. And I, and I think On24 syncs with Pardot and so does um, WebEx and a few of the other ones. But you're right, there's some of that, the syncing, if you've got some out-of-the-box plugins, 
for instance, those tools can be really great at automatically sending reminders. Like, yep. like, like Cheshire Impact, we're doing a webinar this afternoon. I'm doing one this afternoon. Yeah, I'm so stoked yeah. on nurturing. But we didn't have to send out a reminder saying one day until the webinar, one hour until the webinar. So it had a couple billion right. so that our yeah. staff isn't doing reminders five times a week, you know? Totally. Yeah, exactly. So stuff like that. And uh, yeah, I just thought it was interesting over the years working with all these different clients to see the same names coming up <laughs> yeah. over and over again. And then a lot of our customers were asking us, like, oh, it's, it's overwhelming looking at like launch point. Who should we, like what's the short list basically? Yeah, what is the short list? Right, right. Yeah. I don't think, what, what even are those 6,000? Because you're right. I don't think I've even been exposed to that many, you know? Just, I think, okay. I, I mean, I have to think that a lot of them might be like industry specific uh, solutions. Yeah, okay. So maybe if you're in banking, there's 500 <laughs> for right. you or whatever. It, um, uh, but yeah, it's a good question. I haven't looked at all the logos and seen it, you know. You can't, they're too small. <laughs> they're too small. Yeah, yeah. I need a magnifying glass or something. Yeah, imagine looking at your screen with a magnifying glass and someone comes into your office, they're like, what are you doing? Like, yeah. my grandmother would be yeah. like, don't get that close to the screen. You're going to hurt your yeah. eyes, you know? Yeah, I think I, I pretty much did that when the last one came out to try and find the NAC logo. I think I looked for like 20 or 30 minutes, but. It's like, did where's it? it? Did it make the 6,000 cut? We got on there. Yeah. 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 All right. Yeah. Well, hey, yeah. tell me about that because it, it's probably a good time to, to bring that up. So you're doing the Marketo and yeah. the consulting. Yeah. And then you saw it. What, what challenge did you see? And you, how did this thing come about? Yeah. So, I mean, e even before I started the Revenue Pulse, which is the Marketo consultancy, um, you know, I was a marketer on the client side. I was at Cognos, um, who was like an early adopter of Eloqua, um, and uh, got really into like the marketing automation space, like in the early days. And then uh, I went from like Cognos, got acquired by IBM, which is like 400,000 person company, which yeah. I realized like just wasn't for me. Yeah, they got a um, weird culture too. Yeah, yeah, it was, you know, very smart people. I learned so much there, but I, I just wasn't happy with like what I was doing. Right. And one day I was like walking out of work and I'm just like, what? like life is too short. I need to go and do something where I'm like yeah. passionate about it. And so I went to a startup, uh, it's like a hundred person company. They were, they had no marketing automation. We talk about attribution. I remember one of my first days there, I sat in a meeting where they talked about what they did in marketing the year before. And it was like, we went to 47 trade shows. <laughs> And then I was like, okay, and what, what happened at those? Like, how many people <laughs> oh, did no. you meet? What was, how much pipeline? Because I was used to that at yeah. Cog, and there was none of that. So that's when I was like, okay, we need marketing automation here because 
we're just like, we're, that's great we did 47 trade shows, but we don't know if those turned into a single opportunity. Right. Um, and so I, you know, I had known about Eloqua, so I was pushing to get Eloqua, that company, but then. That's a beast, man. Yeah, would have been overkill for sure. Yeah. And then I saw Marketo and really just like, I, I honestly like fell in love with the technology and uh, implemented and led it there. Then I went to another startup and did the same thing. And then I started getting some consulting offers on the side um, and started the agency. And so how I got into NAC and the, and the so NAC is an uh, enterprise email creation platform, but how I got there was like, you know, when I was at the startups, it was such a pain to create like an email or a landing page. Oh, we had to hire an agency. Like it took, it took like two months to get this template so I could send emails out. And uh, then I started Revenue Pulse, the Marketo Consultancy, and we were building custom yeah. templates like nonstop every client had that problem yeah um and by the end like even though it was great revenue and the clients were happy with them i was just like we're doing essentially the same thing for every client right and we're starting over every time and so right. i personally just wanted like a, an outlet or somewhere to be like, Hey, when we do the work, when the next client comes in, we're not starting over. We're using what we've already built and continually making that better. Right. <clears throat> and so that, that's where the idea came from. And, um, how does it work? It, so, so the initial iteration of, of NAC was, uh, you, we, we only had like three email templates at first. That's what we launched with. So like there is like a newsletter and like a webinar invitation and like a, like a content download email. And so you went in there and you could customize like your images and colors and links. Um, and then you could sync it like directly into Mercado. So what used to take you like, you know, two weeks or two months, you could literally do in five minutes. And, uh, and so wow. basically, uh, yeah, so like we had a bunch of uh, people sign up for that. Uh, we initially did like $99 a month, sign up with a credit card. And we had like, hundreds of customers pretty much wow. um, and then you know from there uh, with that product we built over 20,000 or our customers built over 20,000 templates using the platform and we got a lot of feedback from people that was like hey you know this is great it's making templates quicker but I still want more flexibility and control over those once I get them into Mercado. Right. And, uh, and that, that required coding. And so our whole thing was like, we don't want marketers to have to code anything. 
So from there, we kind of built out a couple of other products that do more than just the templates. It's really about kind of completely bypassing Mercado's email editor to create the entire email within NAC and then sync it over into Mercado for deployment. So you can, you can actually sync a whole email template. It was like API. Yeah. Yeah. Can you get stuff out that way? Uh, out of Marketo? Yeah. Yeah. So you can, yeah, with Marketo's API, like you could fetch things as well, but we're pushing, we're essentially pushing the email. And so, you know, one thing is like building the email so you don't have to do the code. And then the other thing we realized is like, collaboration and workflow and approvals of emails could be way better than what it is right now in most marketing automation platforms where there really is zero collaboration built in totally and so we're we're really going that way and we're working with uh a lot of marketo's biggest customers who have like hundreds of people building emails around the world, build them within NAC so that they can remain on brand, they don't need to know how to code HTML, and they have collaboration, workflow, and approval tools built in uh, to help them make email at scale. Wow. Have you looked into Pardot? I see Eloqua and Marketo. Yeah, we, we, we actually have. We would love to do this with Pardot. Um, but unfortunately, you know, we were talking about APIs. Pardot yeah. does not have the APIs to let you or anyone push emails into the platform. Yeah, I've heard about I've heard about people in the past being able to do modify some templates a little bit, yeah. but not that creation. Yeah. But you know, it's yeah. risky, right? Because we were th- when you were mentioning fetch. I mean, I it's kind of funny we're chatting, but I help a lot of people move off of Marketo. On yeah. Pardot and be able to fetch some email templates would be awesome. I'll write yeah. you a check today, but you know, <laughs> but like, but companies then want to protect. I mean, they don't mind you building things, but I'm sure if you if you're using their API to help customers get off their platform, that'll end pretty quickly, you know. Yeah. So I mean, you, I, I'm pretty sure you can fetch uh, emails or templates through the API, but it, I. I'm not sure how much it would help you there because mm-hmm. there's going to be a bunch of like Marketo specific code that's right. not going to play nicely with Pardot. And yeah, I mean, we, we have had some NAC customers who are on Marketo who went to Pardot and they come to us and they're like, Pierce, please make NAC for Pardot. <laughs> nice. Well, yeah. I, I would mean, love to. Yeah. I I would love to. I need to talk to them more about their APIs. But now, uh, if you now, know any, let me know. Could a Marketo customer use NAC to fetch all the current templates they have to modify, or is it just creating new ones and then putting them on there? It's it's really about creating new. I okay. mean, the beauty with NAC is you could take a Marketo template that you already have and rebuild it in NAC using mm. our drag and drop editor. And yeah, like start from scratch. You know, probably yeah. make it better than what you had before. Right, right, right. That's cool. That's really yeah. cool. Yeah, it's one of those things, you know, it's funny you saw it from both sides. You were the client waiting on the template and then you were 
the guy building the template and you're like, man, I didn't get into marketing to just build templates all day long, you know? Totally. Totally. Yeah. This is exciting. Is this going, I mean, you've got gigantic logos, you know, and Gageo's giving you quotes on their, man, is this, where is this going? Is this the, the for real party now? Cause I could see this easily taking over the planet. Yeah. I think we're seeing a lot of traction in the enterprise space, you know, with those bigger uh, customers who have big uh, marketing teams, right? And right. This, this, is, this is something that we find a lot of our customers are kind of struggling with. It's like, how do we set up our marketing operations team and our marketing team to scale? So... Mm-hmm. We've seen a lot of big companies try the centralized model, right? Where you might have 20 marketing operations experts, right? And those are the only people in Marketo doing anything. Right. And then you kind of have like a decentralized model where anyone can go in there, yeah. any of the 100 marketers, and mm-hmm. it's like the Wild West, right? Right. And I've seen companies go from decentralized to centralized and then back to decentralized because they, you know, yeah. with the centralized model, it's great because the people in there are in there every day. They know exactly what they're doing. They don't make as many mistakes. But the problem is you have 20 people who eventually become a bottleneck because everything has to be done by them. Right. And so with NAC, we're kind of allowing companies to do a hybrid model. They can have a centralized marketing operations team, but those people don't have to be tasked with like building out emails, which is a huge portion of time that is spent overall on Marketo. Totally. And it gets even worse if you're on NetSuite. Hey, oh. Yeah. <laughs> I remember spending hours. Like that was my whole job, you know, or, yeah. or silver pop. Hey, I'm here just building an email all day. That's my job as a marketer. Yeah. Not only all yeah. day, like all week, right? Monthly yeah. campaign because it took all month to make a campaign. It's crazy. Yeah. And worse is like if you have to start getting into the HTML, oh, it's uh, not looking good in that Outlook 2013 and you spend a day trying to make a button work, you know? So. Right. You delete a sentence in the WYSIWYG editor and it accidentally deletes a, a table row and a table cell behind the yeah. scenes in HTML. Good luck figuring that out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. That's awesome. I could so. see it's definitely addressing that need, man. That's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. So... so. So I'll go ahead. Do you say something? Yeah, I was just going to say, I, I pretty much split my time right now between the two companies. Sure. And it's, it's really interesting because you kind of see like the maturity of like a six-year-old company with Revenue Pulse. Like we're, we're getting very buttoned up. We have processes, <laughs> like yeah. we have systems in place. Whereas NAC, you know, we're still we're still a little ways away from that. We're still figuring things out. There's a lot uh, of foundation to build still, but uh, yeah, it's kind of nice to be able to go back and forth and take some things from one company and apply them to another. So, yeah. Right. Right. Huh. And so you got one foot in the services and one foot in the product side too. It's probably interesting, you know, where you're trying to build user base versus all that. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, the the most valuable part of that that I found is just the people 
you know, you learn so much, right? Being in the services space, talking yeah. to customers every day, seeing how they work, and being able to use that intelligence and that information to build something to help them, something they might not even know they need help with yet. You know, that's, that's cool that you say that because a lot of times people say, you know, if you're in the service side, you don't have the, the mentality. If you go to product, it's totally different. It's the grass is always greener. But I like the flip side of that, which is you've actually been talking to your customer, working with them on a day-to-day -day basis for a long time. You're, yeah. you're great. You already know what their needs are. Just don't yeah. lose that when you go to the product side. Maybe change your model totally. up a little bit. But yeah. Yeah. And I can totally see how that happens, right? Like with the services side, you're talking to your customers. Yeah. You have a weekly calls with your customers. You're sure. visiting them, you know, you're grabbing dinner or whatever. With the product side, it's so much easier to have that barrier between you and your customer. You know, you sell to them, you go through the onboarding, you get them going, and they do their thing, right? Which is nice in the sense that from running a business, you know, you focus on the platform and that should take care of them. But I agree, right. you know, and, and I see that myself. Like we, sh you, you kind of, you have to make more of an effort to stay in touch with your customers. Um, whereas services, it just kind of naturally happens. Yeah. yeah. So there's a, there's a value doing both, you know, to having one foot in one side, though I could see knack quickly adding so many users that you're, you're going to be a busy guy if you're not already. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully that's the goal. Yeah. Pierce, who are you, man? That's, I'm curious, you know, so you, I, I, I get that you, you know, you big company like bought by IBM and you just create all these startups, but even before that, how, how, you know, I mean, your last name's fascinating. I had to ask you how to say it. Like, who are you? Where did you come from? How did you become, you know, wh what you are today? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so yeah, my last name, my grandfather uh, moved, well, like immigrated from India to Toronto, um, oh, wow. like back in the fifties. And, uh, and so, yeah, so like, I'm like Indian, Scottish, Irish, and American. Um, sounds like a cool combo. My, my wife is Italian and Portuguese. So my kids now are just like Canadians. That's <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, I, you know, I think like I've always liked business. Um, I remember even in like elementary school, we had this like fundraiser campaign where they gave us like this booklet and you could go around and sell things like to your neighbors and you got points depending on like how many products you sold yeah and i remember there's this like porsche phone that you could get if you got like a thousand it was points. a porsche it was a phone like a like a landline phone a phone is a porsche yeah. and yeah. you pick it up and it's a phone yeah. that sounds cool so i i don't know it was like the first time I was like on commission essentially <laughs> and yeah. I remember I just like I sold something to like every single person on my street and I got the phone yeah you know and it was like 
you know, I was like 12 or something. Right. Um, yeah. And then Do you still I, have it. <laughs> the funny story about that is literally like the second time I used it, it just totally broke. Oh no. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Oh, no. it's funny. I don't know if that's like a metaphor for something in the future, but uh, yeah, like don't work just for the Porsche because it's not worth it. There you um, go. That's a good one. Yeah. Uh, and then, yeah. Like, you know, still, another story would have been yeah. if you just picked it up right now on video. Like, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's what I'm calling you on right now, Casey. That's <laughs> why the audio is so crystal clear. That's right. Uh, <laughs> it's my, my perfect Porsche phone. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh yeah then like still to this day like my best and worst job ever was I was I was like a big skier and I wanted to go to the ski camp like in Whistler okay uh, summertime but it's like back then for me like a lot of money I didn't have a job and my dad knew this guy who like ran a telemarketing company okay. so I was like I can do that you know and I went there and like on my first shift I did not we were supposed to sell coupon books like I got hung up on like 50 times and I didn't sell a single thing and the guy sitting beside me is like Pierce give me your phone I'm gonna sell on the next call and I was like no you're not like I just called like a hundred people <laughs> And he's like, give me the phone. And it was all random dials, yeah. right? He just got on there the very next call and sold this coupon book for like yeah. 40 bucks and got someone's credit card over the phone. What? And so like, I just started listening to this, how he did his pitch, what he was saying, and then tried to like adapt it for, for me. And then I, I started getting better at it and I, I was able to pay for my ski trip and I, I learned like so much. Like it was, I hated going to that job every day, but like it taught me a lot about sales. Right. Man, that's such yeah. a powerful experience too. And you know, shots fire. The guy was like, it was like Babe Ruth saying like, yeah, yeah. going out of the park let me show you you're like Dude, <laughs> numbers come on yeah. I tried 50 to 100 of them yeah. and you sold that next person yeah what, what, yeah what was different what did he what was he doing different than you were at the time i mean and then obviously since adopted like he definitely kind of had a script that he used okay but how he opened you know he would tell people like a joke you know he's okay. like hey you know, I'm so-and-so, and the great news is I'm not calling for a donation. Right. And, like, right away, that kind of put people at ease, you know? Right, because he's being real. And, yeah, and then the next thing, he just kind of said, like, you know, I'm not going to take, like, an hour of your time, too. So, you know, you're just kind of, like, especially with cold calling, like, disarming people yeah. at first. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, he he kind of would make it um, kind of, um, not emotional, but he would bring in some like humanness to it. Like there was a charity that we were selling these coupon bucks for. So we would talk about, you know, 
the impact that it had on on the people and it, you know explaining the greater purpose of what he was doing so so i was gonna say it wasn't a donation but kind of it is but you yeah, get a yeah. book out of it exactly, <laughs> exactly. So, oh, man. so yeah that was cool and then you know then i got into email marketing i worked at like a microsoft partner who is okay. uh, selling dynamics they were like a microsoft dynamics integrator um and that's when i first saw like email marketing was like right when that came out when you could actually like see who opened and clicked your emails and i remember it just blew me away because before that i was literally writing like envelopes uh like (laughs) writing envelopes to invite people to this event and so like I, I literally wrote like a thousand envelopes and put this like piece of paper in and mailed it out and we got like 10 people to, to show up to this event. So then I started doing email marketing. I'm like, I can see who's like opening and clicking and it just blew wow. me away. So, wow. Yeah. That's cool. Our passive actually... You know, it's funny how we both ended up in similar spaces, um, you know, toward the end and <laughs> toward where we're at now. <laughs> uh, it's not the end. Oh, I take it back. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, I had a chance to sell tuxedos for a while. And okay. Similar experience. You know, it's crazy. I'm not going to be a salesperson long term, but you're on the spot dealing yeah. with a particular situation. And, and then, you know, likewise, you know, moving on. I worked with a, like a Microsoft partner and, and you're back in the day, you know, creating websites, it, but it's those kind of experiences that can really shape you. How, now you end up going to school though in like Austria, right? Or something like that to that yeah, effect. Yeah. That was how, how did that happen? That was all the skiing. I just, you know, I wasn't even so, I wasn't even thinking about like business or anything back then, but I sure remember there was uh uh, at my high school, someone came in and they were like, yeah, I went uh, to Austria for a year at, for school and I like skied and I was like, that sounds amazing. What program is that? <laughs> Sign me up for it. Right. So <clears throat> yeah, it was like this international business program uh, where you kind of learn a new language and you go away for your third year. Um, and really like I just did it so that I could ski right um but it turned out to be also uh you know really interesting and uh taught me a lot about marketing where I I kind of did like a concentration there but yeah I think I had like nine hours of class a week and I tried to put all of the classes in one day so man so you really were skiing all the time yeah yeah pretty much <laughs> that's sick yeah it's awesome man why even stop right like can i just go keep going to yeah. school this is great yeah. Guys. <laughs> yeah yeah i'm i'm trying to get skiing more again i i like last year i think i went like four times but uh yeah my daughter's just starting to get into skiing oh, and awesome how old she's uh three and a half okay nice yeah. Yeah, yeah. You put her on some boards yet? 
get her yeah, shuffled her around. Last, last year, a few times, she's like, there's these, like, it's, it's so much different from when I learned how to ski, which is yeah. just like, good luck. Like, <laughs> send you down there. Now they they have these, like, harnesses and stuff. So, what? yeah, yeah, it's cool. I think I'd be kind of partial to the old way, but like, all right, son, it's yeah. bunny, bunny slope. So, have just at it. it. Just send it. I do. Re- I do recall a little bit of the trauma of learning to ski as a. As a oh kid. yeah. You know, like yeah. the J bar. I kept trying to sit down. Don't sit down. Just stand up. But let it pull you. But don't sit down. What? Yeah. Yeah. What is it? If you now sit down, you like, fall off. And then you're now gone. they have like these magic carpets. You just <laughs> slide onto them, I've and you like a conveyor belt. It's yeah. Yeah, it's like back in my day, we had a we had a tea bar where we shared it with someone, and, yeah. and if someone fell off, you might have fallen off too. <laughs> it was uh, magic yeah. carpet malarkey. <laughs> exactly. That's cool. That's really cool. Getting them into something that you you know you're passionate about too. But you're right. You know, when the family starts growing. Those kind of things. I mean, for me, it's like mountain climbing is one of mine. But yeah. when was the last time I've been mountain climbing? It's been it's been a while. I'm planning one for 2019, but yeah, yeah, you know, it's like things change, but kids are awesome, aren't they? They're just like oh, this whole other level of life. Yeah, I and I feel like I'm. Whenever I go skiing now, you know, I'm not like in the terrain park or like skiing double blocks, but I'm on the bunny hill, having like just as much fun. Yeah, uh, and and you know, eventually she's gonna be good enough to, and hopefully, like skiing enough where. That can be a cool thing. We can do you do have too. a helmet? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. When did you make the shift to helmets? Because I don't even have a helmet yet. I'm like uh, OG like that. You know, <laughs> little little probably, knit hat, you know? Pro- like, I was definitely there for a long time, but uh, a lot of the terrain parks required you to start wearing helmets. So oh, I, yeah. I probably, probably like 10 years. And the thing is, once you wear a helmet – you never ski without one again because like i just feel so like i'm missing something and oh interesting like a seatbelt yeah, like, like driving yeah, totally. feels yeah you kind of feel like you know i i should have my home <laughs> yeah 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 i think about all the times i pretended to be doing super g as a teen you know screaming down the hill you know, with the goal of not stopping the whole time yeah. Oh yeah. All the craziness that I've done or you in the terrain park, you know, and yeah. somehow we survived it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, I did have a scare where I kind of, I wasn't wearing a helmet and I kind of went off. I didn't see this kind of cat track on the oh, hill geez. and I hit it and I actually fell. I like flew backwards off this cat track head first and I was just like, I'm, you know, I'm going to hit a tree or something. Yeah. And luckily, somehow, I, like, landed in a pile of powder. Ooh. And I walked behind me, and there's literally a huge tree, like, a foot behind me. Huh. So, uh, you know, experiences like that, I want my helmet on. <laughs> uh, yeah. I, no, I can see that. Yeah. Especially when you have kids, too, or you just, like... Uh, Hey, why, why risk it? Might as well get, and they're cute. They're warm. Are they warm? I mean, I don't even have one. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I usually wear like a little beanie under mine, but uh, 
They're good. Good to have. I, if you take one thing away from this podcast, <laughs> wear a helmet when you ski. You got it. <laughs> yeah. now, now on that, I'll get a helmet. But then the second thing, question I have, I've only done like New England skiing, you know, Maine, yeah. New Hampshire, yeah, yeah. AKA skiing on ice. So I'm all good with my edges, but like in the occasional fluke in New England, when you have yeah, a little yeah. bit of powder, uh, but I'd love to go out west and do that. Any, any recommendations on like, what's the one that I should hit first, you know? Yeah, um, yeah. And I, I think like your skiing is similar to where I am in Ottawa, like okay. smaller mountains. And <laughs> yeah. A lot of ice. Uh, yeah, I mean, I've kind of skied all over the place. I personally, I still really like Whistler. Okay. Um, because it's got like the mountains are huge. There's like any type of terrain that you'd ever want. Right. And the village at the bottom, which is like right at the bottom of the mountain, has everything good restaurants, you know, bars, entertainment. So cool i i would i would check that one out but i mean you guys in the states have great spots in like colorado and yeah. california and like wyoming um but yeah hey come up to canada and i'm sure you know you you have like 30 cents on the dollar it's probably That's true yeah what, what, what's around you what's the one that you like to hit uh i ski mostly at tremblant okay which is uh, about two hours from Ottawa, yeah. um, but it's probably the biggest mountain around okay. here. Yeah, got it. Yeah, I know they do um like Ironman triathlons in the yeah summertime. Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a cool area. It's a great uh, great spot. It's similar like at it when Intrawest owned all of those resorts, Tremblant. So they owned Whistler, and Tremblant was kind of like the east coast whistler okay cool and yeah. you, you, you sound cool saying it too like oh tremblant <laughs> yeah, yeah french out there in your conversation I, with people. i try yeah yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah well this has been awesome man you know what are some of the links what are some of the ways people can connect with you and you know follow yeah. up you know some of those resources or even just connect with you and, and get your yeah, yeah, totally. you've got marketo I mean, uh, I'm on LinkedIn, so would recommend anyone reach out there okay. if they want to chat. Um, you can check out uh, revenuepulse.com and okay. uh, nac.io, so knak.io. Okay. And also and on Twitter, I saw you had a couple things on Twitter. Twitter, Twitter, yeah, marketing 101. One of your Twitters related to Tremblant? Uh, yeah, actually, I used to run like the Tremblant Parks, like the Terrain Park Twitter account for huh. them. No yeah. kidding. Yeah, huh. yeah. Been a long time. Right, right, right. <laughs> yeah. I'm too old for the park now. That's why I got to ski powder. It's more forgiving. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That ouch will take a couple more days to go away. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Uh, shoot. Well, Hey man, look at the clock. Like we've been in this like time vortex where like just flew by. This has been awesome. So thank you so much for coming here. I've learned a bunch from you. I mean, I don't know. I've been right writing on. stuff down left and right. Yeah. So this has been awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for having me, Casey. It's a lot of fun and I agree. I can't believe it's she's almost an hour and a half. Oh, I hope 
hopefully the listeners uh, appreciated that. Well, they better. And if they didn't, that's okay. <laughs> I did. I got stuff out. I'm going to go get a helmet for me and the, and the kids. I'm going to get them on those skis. Yes. Kids on skis is super you, cute. You were telling me you were on the trampoline right before this. You should yes. probably wear the helmet on there too. You know, honestly, <laughs> I probably should. I think I almost hit, hit a desk earlier today. So we would not have had this podcast if I walked <laughs> into a table and knocked myself out. So yeah. <laughs> I'll link you to the trampoline too. You never know. You yeah. Might, you might yeah, yeah. I like it. Nice. Sweet. Well, all right, man. Well, hey, for everyone out there listening, if you learn something and and you know, we say this every time. If you if you didn't learn something, then you just need to stop listening because I learned a thousand things. Okay. So if you learn something, share this with someone else who think that needs to hear that around the attribution. That change management is huge, right? How not to get fired while trying to help your company out, right? So all those things are huge. Um, Get this in somebody else's hands so they understand it. Um, Even maybe even your leadership, understanding, you're hearing from the man himself what pipeline attribution actually is and explained in in that great way. So get this to someone else. And I get, you know, for everyone out there, hey, we will see you all next time. This has been the Hardcore Marketing Show. 